Welcome back to the Boundary Corner Podcast. My name is Curtis Wilson. I'm Brian Siegel. What's up, buddy? How you been this week? Buddy, I'm exhausted. Having a beer. Hey, me too. What a, Who'd have thought? Oh, man. Exhausting <laughs> week between working, virtual learning, um, what felt like a very long weekend. Which was a lot of fun. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, football's back and other sports going on. Yeah, but uh, um, yeah, man. But ready to talk some football tonight. You're watching yeah. the yeah. I've got I've got the Bengals and Browns, the uh, battle for Ohio up on the the screen here. Got my notes here. I'm looking at you. We're rolling pretty good here. Got my beer. Okay. We actually got to watch real life football this past weekend. It was nice, especially after the the Friday surprise and then uh, everything that happened after that uh, over the course of that long four day weekend. Um, so it was, it was definitely definitely nice to have something to kind of distract you from some of the the sadness there. Well, you had something to distract you. Your fantasy team winning. My fantasy hey. team. You know, I, I texted you and all the people we play with. I would have beat everybody but four people this week. And I wind up losing fans. It's a 14-team league, so he's actually it's a little something to brag about there. I'm <laughs> angry, though. It's like that you get a little pissed off. Me and you always talk about it. You looked at the – we always look at our weekly scores if we lose. We're like, are you serious? Two people in the league would have beat me, and I had to play one of them? Are you yep. kidding me? The weeks it's like like everybody would have beat me, well, I deserve to lose. But uh, yeah, yeah. And then occasionally you get one where you drop out like a ninety eight burger, but you still pull out the win. You're like, oh yes, oh yeah, I did that. <laughs> but as Brian said, a lot of news going on with the Hokies. A lot of news in general in college football. So you know we are going to waste no time. We're going to get right to it. Um, I did not think over the weekend, Brian, that the story that broke at the end of last week would not be our first story, but unfortunately it's not. Um, as it came out, uh, Devin Hunter arrested, suspended indefinitely off the team, um, charged with a class six felony strangulation and a class one misdemeanor assault against a family member. Um, you know, uh, it's just, it, it, it hurts because, this guy has been complimented the three years he's been at tech hardworking. He doesn't take shortcuts, you know, understands growth, took the red shirt one year. Um, and for me personally, Brian, man, I, I hope everything works out for him on a personal level. He makes it back to Virginia tech football. That's, that's one thing. I hope his life gets sorted because, I mean, these, this type of charge, I mean, this life altering, you know, this isn't, you know, one of your dumb, I got drunk in publics. Yeah. It's a felony. And, um, it's a felony. Um, I mean, the, the felony charge carries a minimum one year if he's convicted. So, I mean, we're talking about serious situation. Um, you know, I'm not going to get, into the details of, of what happened and why it happened yeah. just because there's still so much that we don't know. I don't want to say something that ends up getting through telephone um, ends up being something completely different down the road. So I'm just going to say 
you know, we're thinking about Devin, we're thinking about the other person that was involved in this incident, and we just hope that you know everyone comes out of this um, that that they're able to, to to get on with with their life and be able to to do the things that they want to do here. Um, I just I, I hate it for the guy from a football perspective because again, like you said, he's been doing the right things and had a t- team first mentality, and you hate for something very heat of the moment it seems to to kind of take all that and and and, uh, and tear it apart so yep absolutely um now of course you know we addressed the personal side of it how we kind of both feel but there's the football side of it and you know we are we, we we talk virginia tech football for me and you brian just a few weeks ago we had already been seeing and hearing that jamari corner was already going to be playing safe boundary safety on nickel packages yeah and it and it seems like if you kind of you know go through the grapevine, even with all the stuff going on, he's just going to go there permanently with Jr. backing him up. I mean, you, you kind of told me. I think you've mentioned it on here, but you've also mentioned in general this is this is big for Jamari because now you know say what you said about him in the NFL in this move. Well, I mean, if we're looking at a perfect fit for him in the NFL. He's definitely like your prototypical strong safety. Um, he's got the body. He's got the ability in coverage. He's got the ability against the run plays a little bit better facing the ball than he does with his back to the ball. So that's something that's going to be better for him from a strong safety perspective versus any sort of nickel corner or, or things like that. So, you know, getting him still a guy that's like in the box, out of the box, that that's going to be good to get a lot of tape of him on that for the, those NFL scouts. So I like that for him. I like that. It's going to be pretty much a natural fit in terms of his skill set. Um, you know, the interesting part, because you move that piece, now you're looking at who's playing that three down position at the whip nickel versus a guy that you thought was going to maybe play that for, for one or two downs and then swap over to, to boundary safety uh, when the situation call for it. Um, I'm looking at probably Murray or, or Taylor stepping into that position. Um, you know, I'd like to get the, whoever the best three cover guys are in the set there. I'd like to get them on the field, but I, I don't want to sacrifice run support just for the coverage. And I think that Taylor and Murray from an inside perspective, bring a little bit more to the table than, than Chapman. So again, whoever the, the, the best three are, I'd like to see them out there, but I think Chapman's going to be more in position playing outside than he would inside. So I don't necessarily see that as a role for him. So it'll be interesting to see who ends up in the, the two deep at corner and then slotting in there at the, at the nickel whip. It's true, man. But the other piece will kind of be interesting when we play, you know, your pits, your Notre Dame's is, who's going to more play the true nickel linebacker position as Jamari did. The one upside to him is sometimes you never had to change the defense because Jamari was good enough in coverage to where you didn't have to truly put that third corner. I know me and you talked about, we'd like to see the third corner more because we feel like we got exposed occasionally for Jamari's. If you go with his spectrum, what he's great at, what he's just good to average at, it was more of the coverage stuff. So I'm wondering if something have they been potentially working in, you know, Tisdale? Are there guys, you know, are they looking what they did with Daddy for a while with maybe Amari Barno? You remember those first couple years with Daddy, he would essentially just, wherever the, the tight end wasn't, he would go there. Yeah. And even if they shifted it to him, it would be fine, but they were giving 
as you've told me before, when they motion, they're showing you something in their car just while they're motioning that tight end towards him. So yeah. it, it will be really interesting. And what would probably have been interesting, Brian, would be two days from now if we'd be playing a game. But unfortunately, we are not. We we're are not. not playing a game. Um, down. Um, the Rona got us, man. The, the Rona, Rona got us. Got us. You know, me and you, you know, watching the rumblings had started some days before the 12th, but finally it was officially announced. It had severely affected the program to a point we couldn't play. Mark, Dr. Mark Rogers essentially made that ultimate call that we would not be playing. Um, and, you know, you know, we had the news conference last Saturday and basically about the safety, the physical, the mental well-being is the top priority and of the players. And, and we agree with this. And, and when you start seeing potentially the numbers where it was like maybe 35 to 40 guys at practice, yeah. and usually you're looking at over 100, including the walk-ons, um, you know, it had to be done. And it stinks. And it stinks that the game that was supposed to be this weekend is one that we all were getting hyped for. But, you know, it had to be done. It did. And, you know, Anyone following this story and any uh, major news outlet is going to know how much crap Virginia Tech has gotten about making this decision. Um, but at the end of the day, if you've only got 50 people that you can roll out in a game and half of them are not your starting lineup and some of them haven't taken enough meaningful snaps where it is quite quite literally safe to put them on the field, yeah, that's a, that's a problem. That, that, that's a problem that you can't just address and say, oh, yeah, well, we're going to throw one starter, two backups, and two walk-ons at offensive line and call it a day and then yeah. hope your quarterback doesn't get killed in the first quarter exactly. of the game. You're not yeah, going to do that. Yeah, no, nobody's going to do that. And that's why there's some of the protocols about having at least 50 and then the amount of offensive linemen and the amount of defensive linemen. And, and it, although the ACC, I don't think they've released it, there's a certain specific. I know it, the 53-55 is like the set number. Like, if you don't have this many people, That's the number, and you have to have a minimum of seven scholarship offensive linemen yeah. to play a game. And I think four scholarship defensive linemen, right? Yes. Correct. So, you know, it, it, it makes, you know, it sucks. But it had to be done. Now, I think, you know, there's rumors flying around of who actually has it, who doesn't. And, and I, I personally don't want to get into that. That is those guys' personal business. Um, but just just to feel, Brian, how do you – do you think we have, you know, a quarter of the team that's a, contracted, or do you think we're at a lower number? I think we're at a lower number because I think if you if you looked at the not only the ACC guidelines that are in line with the CDC for uh, for contact tracing and positive um, in, in terms of the number of days you have to sit out, the contact tracing in the in that language is actually left up to the state and locality, and the region and then the state in general is strenuous relative to some of our neighbors and some of our ACC. Uh, states, as you might would guess here. So um, I'm thinking that contact tracing is what is taking out probably a good 65 to 70 percent of of the guys that are missing practice here. Um, 
So yeah. you're talking about maybe, you know, five or six maybe positives on the team, but that's taking out another 25 or 30 players um, due to contact tracing and everything else. So, Yeah, and, and that's the piece that is seemingly getting more teams right now than anything. I mean, because these guys, they live together, they eat together, they practice together, they have classes together, um, which kind of begs the question, and I mean, you kind of hit on it today, is why are we doing daily tests? The, the rapid response tests are out there are almost 99.6. Why yeah. aren't we doing their daily tests? And, you know, it would make more sense because I know you talk about the guidelines. You can't have three negatives and then just be out. But if you're testing every day, you're essentially the NFL because those are, you've heard guys, oh, he got a positive. Well, then he got three negatives in a row. And it's like, oh, he false positive because there's no way. Retests are going to come back negative. He truly has this just based on the science. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's another thing when we're talking about the, the contact tracing and then looking at the rapid test, you decrease the footprint of, of that contact tracing significantly when you're only talking about a 24 hour period versus, you know, 48, 72, sometimes, you know, even even more than that, maybe 96 hours um, between, you know, your last your last test or your last screening and then the one that you're getting at the start of the week. So, yeah, I think that that's something that's going to benefit us. I don't understand why more teams are not adopting it um, because it does. I mean, I know it's costly and I know that's probably the biggest aspect of it at this point. But you would think the ACC would be in a position where they could leverage um, their position to get those tests to their uh, their member institutions. Yeah, absolutely right, man. Now, good news is basically what we're seeing, what we're reading, and what the reports are coming out is starting on Tuesday, and it seems like every day it's more and more, and we're getting guys back out of quarantine, which is good because, you know – if 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 it keeps trending this way into Saturday, we're playing next week unless yep. there's a massive freaking outbreak, which yep. right now you kind of don't see that happening. Just in Montgomery County, just a couple of days ago, compared to what it was three weeks ago, it went from like 11 percent positive to back under six. So it's it spiked it spiked good, and now it's starting to taper off, and hopefully it you know levels out somewhere at or below 3% because I think if we're, if we're in that range, we're probably doing okay. Yeah, absolutely. Um, if yeah. we're high, if we're higher than five consistently, then that's not great, but probably doable. If you're above 10% consistently, that's going to be a struggle every week for everybody. Yeah. Um, let me ask this, Brian, because the way it seems guys are coming back slowly and let's say even guys are been early next week, start coming back. Uh, what do you do for guys who are missing practice days is it do you have to treat it almost like a, a physical ailment but they can't even be on the field they can't even be getting treatment they can't be out there i mean essentially they're locked in their apartment or in their dorm room you know what can you do take me back to the time maybe you've been injured where you couldn't get on the field or you had teammates and what did you guys do for them to give you some perspective of what probably they're trying to get these guys to do so let's say one of the players can get on the field wednesday well wednesday's one well, practice day, 
walkthrough Thursday, final walkthrough Friday. Yeah, I mean, the big thing is going to be mental reps because right now they can't take physical reps and they're not able to physically be able to watch from the sidelines. So I don't know what they have set up in terms of getting these kids uh, film with practice where they can kind of take those mental reps, see what other players were doing in practice, where they went wrong, things they that they can prove, improve on. I don't know if they're watching – film from practices from previous weeks when they were in on drills to see where they can improve and try to get those mental reps up. But the big thing that they can do right now is again, those mental reps because you can't really replace anything else other than trying to get better and understand your role, your job and how that works within the framework of the offense or the defense, depending on what side of the ball you're on. I feel bad for these guys. I mean, you're talking about pretty much shutting it down for up to two weeks and then having to ramp it back up right away. And, yeah. you know, even somebody coming off an injury, you would kind of ease them back into it. Um, whether it's number of reps at practice or number of reps in a game, but you're talking about going from nothing, from all to nothing back to all. And just, ha- you know, the way your body's going to react to that is going to be interesting. Yeah. It's going to definitely be really interesting. Well, with all that breaking, obviously, it put the Virginia, Virginia Tech Commonwealth Clash back, which was announced today to December 12th. So in its rightful spot, right? <laughs> in its rightful spot. That's um, right. But something that was broken, I think David Teal broke it, that the ACC very shortly after August 26th had essentially went to UVA and said, hey, would you be willing to move it up to the 12th? UVA said no, um, for whatever reason, and that's that's their prerogative. Um, but that might have been a mistake for them, honestly, because if you kind of read the tea leaves, I think probably if they chose to play, we probably could have fielded a a team, probably with maybe sixty percent of our starters. Just to kind of what we're like, me and you just kind of seeing what we're seeing. So they might have screwed themselves in the ass saying, I don't know. We don't want to play right now. Yeah. Well, I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll see what, uh, if, if they would have moved it, we would have had a hard time saying we can't, we had a harder time saying we can't play. I, I think we could have played. Yeah. I think we would have had enough guys to play and it would have looked weird. There would have been certain guys not there. And as soon as we saw it, we would have been one of those first teams, this being our team, knowing where so-and-so, oh, crap, where so-and-so, where's, oh, jeezy. Oh, man. This ain't good. This ain't good. <laughs> man, we got the ball today. Yeah, I mean, so, it's one of those things where, you know, UVA may have screwed themselves and may have inadvertently given us a little bit of a of an out there because, again, if they had – Moved moved up the game, just decided to move up the game, and then we were looking like, eh, hey, we're not going to quite be there. That we it would have been a harder harder for us to make that call, I think. So I think they ended up throwing us a bone in that in that regard, not taking the reschedule. But <laughs> at this point, we're looking at December twelfth. Um, so what well, we thought was going to be a Extended hate week now becomes a pause for three months. <laughs> three months, yeah. Three, yeah. three months of hate. Let's just say that, man. All right, Brian, so some other 
big news on, on a college football landscape. The Big Ten, they reneged. And they've decided they're going to play this year. <laughs> that pressure was a bitch, wasn't it? Oh, <laughs> well, Kevin Warren. Man, it, it's funny, like, you know, it was kind of made into a political issue, but, I mean, they were getting flack from all sides to, to bring things back based on what the rest of the what, – what, what, based on what everybody else was doing, even on campus at those schools. Like, if you've got them on – in in the schools, at the schools, going to class, doing all this other stuff, they might as well be playing football too. Kevin Warren tried power play. Yeah. And he screwed it because what he doesn't realize is the South is so much has so much more strength between the South, central part of the country, the Texas, Oklahoma's in the world of football. And he screwed the pooch because you've heard people say it like all day the last few days. You know what they should have done a month ago? Hey, we're just going to see where everything is a month from now. Yeah. They, does anybody say anything to them? Nope. No. They, they would look like they were taking a cautious approach to it. They might have been criticized by some of the heavy SEC folks, but the fact that they were playing wait and see would have played well across most of the country. Exactly. Now, just a few things, Brian. Um Hey, it's good to have them back. I like a lot of, you know, love watching some of those games at noon, even the later games. As as much as I don't like Penn State, Ohio State, just because they win all the damn time, same with Michigan, it's usually some good games. So for our viewing appetite, it's wonderful. Yep. Now, what we're seeing here, just a few breakdown, a couple things. They're only going to play eight games. Um, starting on October 24th with a championship on the 19th of December. And, Brian, I'm just kind of sitting here looking at my calendar, and I'm doing some counting. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Um, They can't miss any games. They cannot miss any games. Um, <laughs> and... If they do, they are running the risk of even an undefeated team not making the college football playoff, if that's the goal. Because yeah. at eight, they're still going to be under every other conference in terms of number of games. So, right now, we don't yeah. have everything to play out, but if, 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 if a perfect world happens, everybody gets to play their set number of games, they're going to be two to three below everybody, yep. um, which is pretty big. But I think as just fans, it's it's nice to see that happen. It looks like it like a little domino tilted over because now the Pac-12 looks like they're trying to come back. The Mountain West is trying to come back. Um, and again, if all these conferences and even like the MAC and stuff, if all these conferences had just instead of saying we're going to shut it down, use common sense and say things are changing about this virus every single hour not even day hour there's something new breaking just put it off if you felt right now it's not safe enough to play nobody ain't gonna say anything to you it's your decision so they uh what they should have done is said whenever they made the decision that they couldn't start right now is essentially held a meeting amongst the presidents and ad's every two weeks and reevaluated the situation until they felt good calling one way or the other. Obviously, if you keep pushing it back, eventually you have to call it and say, we're moving it to the spring full stop. Yeah. 
which is pretty much in any any time you're starting after the middle of October or late October, you're gonna you're saying you have to push it back to the fall. I mean to the spring full stop. But until then you can meet every two weeks and as long as you have like a four to six week period to gear up, yeah, you're good. Oh exactly. Now where they're gonna have to make the decisions where I think they could get screwed if they do have to miss games is you if they miss two or three games, you're going to have a team that's five and zero, and you know it could be Ohio State and the playoff committee say you just haven't played enough. Like we 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 know you're a pretty good team, but you know you know you mean you mean let me throw this out at you, Brian. Yeah. But Virginia Tech is twelve and zero. Clemson's. You know, or, or Notre Dame's eleven and one. Yeah. Alabama's undefeated. Oklahoma's un- we gotta take these guys. They played more teams. They've proven that they can do it throughout a whole year. And that's where they're gonna they're gonna have to get screwed. I'm also wondering, and you tell me it wouldn't I've heard somebody I can't remember who said this today. I listen to numerous podcasts, radio stations. So if one of those people listen to this, I'm not trying to steal your thunder, but if you're them do you stack your big matchups early? Like like opening weekend, you say, screw it, Penn State, Ohio State, Michigan, Wisconsin. In the effort to in the effort to get them out of the way while you're still got a little it, control of things? Well, like for example, let's say Penn State runs and plays Michigan, Wisconsin, Minnesota, and they go five and over six and oh, and then things get canceled on the back end. At least you can say, Hey, we played really good teams and beat them all. It's true. It's true. Yeah, I mean, I get what you're saying there. Um, you know, it, just looking at this whole situation with Big Ten's power play and Pac-12 kind of following suit there, you know, I don't. it's weird that they didn't consider that the entire South and the most populous corridor in the country would have significant weight behind them to get a season going if they could. Play. That they would just follow suit of the um, – no offense to these guys, but the flyover states. Um, what did – I mean, did they really anticipate that everyone was just going to fold when, when they did? Were that's they that they, arrogant? That's, it. that's that's the arrogance of what they thought. They thought that, you know, we're Ohio State and Michigan and, you know, whatever we say they're just going to do. And – you know, the ACC and Notre Dame and the SEC and Texas and Oklahoma were like, nah, dog, <laughs> we don't play that. Like, we've got, you know, the ACC is, you know, up the 95 corridor, two teams in Florida, a team in Georgia, a team in South Carolina. A little different down there, even here in the state of Virginia where we're not playing and people are still angry about it because it's like everybody else is playing. The kids are staying home. The kids are staying home. Why can't they just go from their house to practice, back to their house, and then come for the games on Sunday? If you don't want fans, that's fine. Yeah. So, yeah, it is what it is. But, yeah, they overplayed their hand, had to go back on it. Makes Kevin Warren look foolish. Um, makes him look foolish. Makes him look like someone that is either playing politics or went with the knee-jerk reaction to yeah. skate liability or even more nefarious to uh, – take away the bargaining chip of the players in terms of getting right. image and image and likeness things rolling there and other um, player centric uh, appeals that were going on due to COVID. So Absolutely. 
he doesn't he doesn't look good in either three of those scenarios. So, but you know where it looks good, Brian? What's up? You know what looks good though for me and you on Saturdays. Yep. <laughs> hey, it's a good game on. Yes. Now we got more of them. More of them are going to be on. Absolutely. I'm, I'm not going to complain about more football. I'm going to use some very coarse language, and we use coarse language in here. We're adults. The dead period has been extended to January 1st of 2021. What the actual fuck? (laughs) Yeah. um, Why are you doing this, NCAA? It makes no freaking sense. And, you know, you can – I know some people have said, well – the concerns about spreading the virus, bringing people on campus. Trust me. Trust us. If people were going to those schools, they were probably going to be tested and quarantined. Like, listen, you need to get in Thursday. We're going to test you Thursday. We're going to test you Friday. We're going to rapid test you Saturday. If you test positive in your hotel room three straight days, then you can, or negative three straight days, then you can come to campus. I, I don't know the play in this. You let Most of these kids are going to school virtually right now, so it's not like even a scheduling situation. Um, You know, we're looking at at this situation where you got all these kids on campus, you got all these kids coming from around the country, but you don't want to have, you know, a handful of kids from Delray Beach come up for you know a day and a half, two days (laughs) uh, under pretty much a, a situation where they're not, you know, going to be going into, into the buildings like they would under a normal visit, I would imagine. Anyway, I'm sure that this will be a highly modified campus visit compared to what a typical um, official visit would be anyway. Um, but now you've got the dead period pushed past the early signing period. So I'm not sure what that's even going to look like at this point. Like, is there even going to be the expectation like it normally is of verbals that haven't had official visits to sign on early signing day? Like what's that, what are the ramifications of the dead period being pushed to January one? The ramifications are also this. If some of those kids start decommitting and don't sign the dotted line, who's to say they're ever going to actually make it a canvas. Yeah. I mean, because the, the, the signing day is only six weeks after. That's not a lot of time. No. Um, so I, I honestly don't get it. I think I, I personally feel good about our class. Um, there is, you know, a few guys out there, you know, you want to get in, you want to get on the boat. There's a couple guys out there I'm sure we're still pushing like crazy for. Um I think there's a couple of guys we're probably pushing to flip. So, I mean, that, that'll be interesting to see. Um, we get probably less leverage with that without being able to get any of those guys on officials now, yep. at least ahead of early signing. So that, that part sucks. I feel like we anticipated a, a, a big flip season that I don't know if we're going to necessarily see because no officials are happening to really sway these kids significantly off their current verbal. Well, who I, I feel really sorry for, and and we've we've got a couple that haven't come down. I don't think Trey Curry ever has come, um, but it seems like he's a couple tweets and stuff from him over the last month. Seems like he's probably pretty much in. Yeah, seems but, like he shut it shut it down. Anybody coming at him, he's been shutting down. So that's a good sign. Where I really feel more sorry for and. Maybe it's just because we're biased against them. 
It's the lower kids who are committed to blue bloods right now um, who aren't having a chance to go because there's a lot of times they get there and they feel essentially that cold and they, they really don't want me here. They're like they're almost they're almost negatively recruiting me to get out of my verbal. They're, they're mad that I've got a place in the boat right now, and they're they're not. I mean, some of them will outright just push them out, and some of them will be like cold shoulder to the point where they start to reconsider their commitment. So you see, it like a few weeks after an official, they decommitted. Like, oh, that that's not great. So uh, yeah. But um, so yeah, NCAA. I, I I don't know why you're doing this. If anything, it should be we're gonna have state guidelines open. Because the honest truth, do you think do you think the coaches want any kid potentially from out of town coming out with potentially corona? No. no. Good lord, they're control freaks anyway. Put this element in there and say. Can, hey, I, can I tell you why the NCAA is making this call? Why? Because they are not willing to risk liability. It's the only way you can potentially think, even though you feel like it would be the university itself. The university itself is responsible for that, not the NCAA. NCAA yeah. to me is just handcuffing people. The and NCAA is is like they always do: is that they understep the things that they should be handling and overstep <laughs> the things that they have really no business governing. Wait a minute, bro. Like, wait a second. In five months, should we have come up with corona guidelines, you know, rosters, how many people, percentage? Yeah, that would be really good. No, we're not going to do that. No, 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 no. We're not going to touch that. Okay. Then what are you going to do? No official visits until January. <laughs> what? That okay. it? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> That's all we're doing for you. Again, what the actual fuck? All right. So, Brian, as you mentioned, and we mentioned at the beginning of the show, there was actually games last week. And real actual football. Real actual games that counted. And me and you kind of discussed, and we were like, we, we, we watched some of the games, highlights, looked at stat lines, read some reportings. And we're, we're going to look at four um, our future opponents for the Hokies that played what we feel like they played good enough teams where you could get something off of it. So we are leaving off Pitt. They played Austin P. Austin P's a FCS school. We're not going to count that. So let's start with this. Last Thursday night, we were here sipping on some brews. You had your command center up. I had the cave here rolling and we were watching Miami. Yep. Um, Brian, as we were sitting here watching, we're sitting here joking, and we just look at each other, and we're like, that offensive line is still horrible. Yes, they are. They are bad. Um, I would say they are maybe little skosh better run blocking this year than they were last year. Pass pro is just as bad. <laughs> and any time that uh, King had more than a three-step drop, he had a guy in his lap. Um, sometimes three-step drops, he had a guy on his lap. <laughs> <That's> uh, <bad. laughs> they're going to be a little better on offense because of his athleticism. But if teams can keep him in the pocket, he is going to struggle because he will not have time to throw the ball. Um, but he is a very, very talented quarterback. He, he was oh, yeah. a little rusty with his accuracy in some instances, but um, definitely – a poised player. Um, 
did make bad decisions, even when he didn't make the right throw or, or was completely accurate on the throw. He didn't necessarily do anything to hurt the team. So um, I think he's going to be good for them. But yep. I don't think they're going to be able to really take a significant step on the offensive side of the ball as long as that offensive line is playing that way. Absolutely, yeah. Um, King was solid, um, kind of what we expected um, from him. It was, again, UAB. UAB's a solid uh, group of five teams, so nothing there. Didn't It wasn't anything spectacular. I think a lot of people thought he was going to go in and just be unbelievably spectacular and, you know, you know put 375 total – yards up all around or 400 total yards up and multiple touchdowns. And uh, he didn't. Now, the one thing I noticed, and I, I hit you this, I can't remember if I hit you on Thursday night after we'd gotten off here or I hit you the next morning, but I hit you and I said, Brian, I got a staff for you. You take out their big chunk plays and they had about six on the ground. They averaged less than four yards a rush. That's not good. Not against the caliper of UAB. No. You tell me it's against Florida State and Marvin Wilson, or if it's against Florida State, or excuse me, Clemson. I'd be like, okay, well, that's okay. <laughs> you almost got to four against UAB. It's a little bit scary for them. Um, and you, you mentioned to me as we were discussing today, man, they they miss Rousseau on that defense. So they much. definitely miss Rousseau on the defense, and like you said, with the running game. Like I said, I think it's a little bit improved, but you mentioned the six plays that were, that were good chunk plays. Yeah. Two of them were completely defensive breakdowns by UAB. One was a safety fill. One was a safety fill. We were talking about it last week. One was a safety fill. Um, fill the wrong gap and scoot touchdown 60, was 65 yards, something like that. 60 plus yards. Yeah, yeah. 60 yards on fourth and one. Um, so that would have been like if they'd have just filled the gap properly, um, they probably get the stop there and get a, a short field against Miami. But unfortunately, it was seven points the other direction. Yeah. And then there was a big scramble that King had, I think, was about 40 yards yeah. and about four missed tackles on that 40 yard run. And, 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 and I know some people are like, well, but you have to count the chunk plays. But it's not so much. You need chunk plays. Yeah. But if you're depending on chunk plays that much, you start looking at the average and it's saying you Brian was just lighting up UAB like if these guys could just make a tackle, not 10 in a row, a tackle. But that's the piece. It's like chunk plays are great. But if you're getting chunk plays, but your average is when you take them away is way down. It's one of those again, it's one of those things where you're going to get in a game that teams that what normally would go 35 yards when they stop you at 12 is you don't have that shifting of the field. You don't have that momentum breaker. You don't have that touchdown run and it's making you grind. Yep. Um, and also these chunk plays aren't coming on beating the defense. These chunk plays are coming on the defense beating themselves. <laughs> and that makes you feel less confident about those chunk plays. It's not like, Oh, I drew up a seam that, you know, we, we executed perfectly And, you know, quarterback looked off the safety and then threw to this, like, it it wasn't that. It was missed tackles and a safety going in the wrong gap. (laughs) Yeah. We're going to find out about them, a lot about them on Saturday. We're going to talk about Louisville in a little while here, but I want to hit the next one. 
UNC. I, I watched a ton of that game. I, I was a, pretty much at the house all day Saturday doing my usual Saturday routine. The offense looked rusty. It, you know, it, it didn't look like what we saw last year where consistently moving the ball, Sam, you know, looking good. He had two picks. He only had, I think, six last year, maybe eight. So he's already, yeah, yeah, he had six last year. He's already a third of the way there through the first game against Syracuse. Um, You know, what what did you kind of take from the pieces you saw? I know you had some stuff going on during that game, so you only caught pieces here and there. What did you catch really from, let's go with the offense first for UNC. So the offense, um, I'm with you on the inconsistent play, especially the first three quarters. Um, I don't know if they just had a wake-up call or realize what the hell are we doing, but, you know, you go into the fourth quarter and it's a very narrow margin and then they end up covering, um, but it was an ugly cover. Uh, so, Listen, I, I've told you my perspective on this. They won that game by a wear down. They did, yeah. not, they did not flawlessly execute and put a beat down. They won that game by a wear down. And that makes a lot of questions come up because, again, UNC has some talent. But when it gets to a level of you're not playing Syracuse, whose offensive line is the third worst in the ACC, and you're sacking them nine times. Well, the, um, the problem with Syracuse is that their offensive line is that bad, but they don't have that skill to fall back on that your FSUs and Miamis do. Yeah. Like at least they have talented position guys at the at the skill position that can sometimes make up for that lack. But Syracuse isn't there. I mean, they've got some they got some guys that can do some things, but they're not talented across the board at the skill positions like Miami and FSU, where they can really make up for their lack of talent on the offensive line. Which means that Syracuse could move the ball, and yet still here we are talking about UNC not being able to take advantage of that until the uh, fourth quarter. Well, yeah, and, and and I texted you a few times during the game. There were a couple of times the, the defense, Syracuse drove a few times on them. They just didn't punch it in. So the yeah. bend break philosophy is great, but I remember specifically hitting you in the second quarter saying, when UNC plays a team that doesn't struggle to punch it in, and if that offense doesn't get back in sync quick, they're going to be in trouble quick because there's no 13 – well, 14 games technically of Sam Howell, including the Syracuse game. And that was the first time he didn't look like himself. Their offensive line playing okay, and then a couple big running, you know, the uh, the Williams kid breaking a couple runs and punching it in. You, you can't do that. They're not going to be able to do that against Notre Dame. I don't think they can do that against us, um, you know, my even Miami, there's going to be teams they can't do that against, and if they do, they're going to put it all back on Sam's arm, and people say, well, he did it last year, but again, there's more tape. Okay, this is what they like to do with him here. This is what they like. Can he take the step? And I, I don't know. It's it's interesting. They won, but not with extreme force. They didn't go up 24 nothing and then just ease off. They literally were scrapping Fucking backdoor cover on me and you. Yeah, I mean that that's one of the bottom four teams in the conference. So it's not like you were playing some sort of world beater or a team that you know should have stuck with them for three quarters. So 
if if this is the team that's supposed to be the first team that you mentioned after Notre Dame and Clemson, that won't it. That won't it. True. Now, Duke played the team Notre Dame. Um, what do you think of Duke's performance? Duke did kind of what I expected them to, but they hung in there longer than I expected them to. Um, so Duke, I mean, Cutcliffe, he's a great coach. He prepares them well. They always have a good game plan and they always execute well. They usually are just, they don't, they can't match up with teams in the ACC talent for talent. So they try to out execute yeah. you and, and out game plan you. And depending on how long you let them hang around and how well you execute is going to depend on if they're there at the end or if they're going to get the win. Um, Duke hung around for a good while there, and then eventually talent took over. Yeah. But I like the uh, the debut for Chase Bryce was was pretty good. Um, yeah. I think he's going to be one of the I'd say one of the better um, quarterbacks that Duke has had, and that that includes a couple guys that that have played in the NFL. So that that's saying something there. Yeah. Um, and I, I I think they're kind of like a middle of the pack, like probably like mid third tier team. Yeah. You know, probably, probably not probably number nine or 10 in the ACC. Yeah. They're, they're above like Syracuse and um, maybe even Georgia tech that Florida state game was funky, which we're not going to touch them tonight because if they play was, well. They can beat UVA, but you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you mentioned it. They hung in there. Cut is a great coach. He had two, they had two great game plans. The thing with Duke is they have to, perfect those plans when the slight hip hiccups happen not punching it in was one of them they kicked a field goal versus a um versus scoring a touchdown like inside the five that's not the perfect plan um you know i'm not i wouldn't say I'm, i mean am i worried about duke in some ways yes because if they come in with a great game plan and we're off it's going to be it's going to be a dog fight and you don't want dog fights no. um but they just got worn down. And again, it's the, the, the better teams will wear down the, the lesser teams. Um, but I think you put Duke where you said you put them in the bottom third. I think you put them upper half bottom, upper half of the bottom third, yep. or you put them in the lower half of the second third. Because uh, Bryce did play good enough um, to, to potentially he could have one of those games where he does play to the top of his level and he could beat somebody. I hope that's not any time in the next month, but it'd be in November. <laughs> All yes. right. Last thing we're going to hit today, Brian, um, Louisville. Louisville, by a lot of people, you talked about UNC being third. I've seen Louisville third a ton. Um, how much did you get to see of this game on Saturday night? Uh, this was another one where I was kind of uh, there about half the time, so I didn't get, a, get to see a ton of it. But what I did see – um, and we had talked about it a little bit when we were texting. You know, when we look at their offense, it's predicated on the big play. It's predicated on speed, speed, and getting chunk yards and chunk plays. Oh, I got and, you. And then, yeah, so I'm, I'm gonna let you throw the stat out there because I know you've got it there. But um, they really have to hit the home run for their offense to function. At least in, it did in this game. 
Um, I don't know if it'll be more consistent as we go forward. Um, I did like to, their defense a little bit more than I liked them last year. I think they're slightly improved. They're a little bit better at the top end. Um, I think they're going to not be as susceptible to giving up tons of points like they were in some areas last year. So that that should help them a little bit, especially if their offense gets going. But I'll let you throw the big stat out there as far as their uh, their yards per play there. All right, we got we to break this down into – Several different categories. Okay, first of all, they ran 71 plays on Saturday. That's a pretty good number. Yeah. Okay. They had 487 total yards. Man, you do that math. That's that's bumping what over six yards a play, almost close to seven. 202 of those yards came on four plays. Yep. Four. That's an average of 50 and a half yards per play on those four massive home run plays. So on the other 67 plays, if you do the average out, Brian, they're averaging 4.2 yards per play, which is that's eh. you, you usually tell me you want a team averaging five. Yeah. Right. Five. Yeah. You want five yards per play. If you're hitting at five per play, even if you take out chunk plays, if you're still averaging five per play, you're, you're, you're running over teams. You're basically getting a first down every two plays. And it was that thing we talked about them, that speed, that home run. They had to hit home runs. And I watched, I watched that game a little more uh, closely near the end, but as I was watching it kind of halfway on the first half, if they didn't hit a home run, they were kind of stalling. They run 35 21. And but again, the the you you see what you can do. It's almost like listen, force them to drive the field, sit in cover three, cover four, and like pick it apart. That game, if if we were to if we win that game, their yak and their yard their yards after contact will be low. If that if it is low, we'll win that game. If that is medium to high, buckle up. Get your booze ready because it's going to be fun. <laughs> well, not fun, but an exciting game to watch. Yeah. Again, a lot of them, you mentioned it, defense played okay versus the competition. Um, we find out a lot 730 Saturday night. And um, it's going to be interesting to see how Miami and Louisville play each other. We are going to probably uh, – we're going to – Pick that one here in just a few minutes, Brian. But anything else on Louisville? Anything else you saw that caught your eye last weekend? No, that's the big thing. I mean, we hit the, with the major points there. Defense a little bit better, depending on the home run. Still be determined how how well they're going to be. I mean, definitely, I'm putting them in the top, definitely top half, probably top um, third of the conference. But I just don't know. There's a lot of unsettled. Uh, chairs there between three and six and i don't know exactly where some of these teams are going to shake out uh when all is said and done but um, i definitely think they're probably right there at the cusp of of the top third um right now how high they go is to be determined awesome well let's get to it brian as we did last week we're going to pick this week we're going to pick four acc games versus each other. We're going to do one ACC out of conference and then one other out of conference uh, game of the week. Last week, I was three and three. Brian, you were two and four. Um, 
I'll get better. <laughs> I had a couple. I had a couple that came close to hitting, and I had a couple that I was way off on. <laughs> well, the especially one, the, uh, the the coastal game. <laughs> the coastal game, yeah, that's one. Just just never tell anybody about that one. Um, well, they actually, do be like Kansas is bad. Yeah. I trusted left. He sucks. I, you know. I, I, I took Kansas giving six, and I was way off. <laughs> Listen, I told you, we were talking. I said Coastal's winning this game outright. But um, you you had the Clemson game. I was wrong on that one. And then you had the Louisville game, which we both were right on. We missed on the Syracuse-UNC game, the backdoor cover. Um, the – Notre Dame game, um, we were a little bit off on that one. Uh, I, I didn't feel as bad about that one because it, it seemed like when they got into the grind fest late, I got back in here late because we went played outside with the kids for a while. But you kind of saw, like, Notre Dame wasn't risking anything late. Like, they probably could have hit the 20, but it was just like <laughs> Brian, Brian was just like, nope, we're not going to do anything stupid here. We could probably score – a touchdown, maybe even 10 points, but no, we're not going to do that. But this week, Brian, let's start with this one, um, a team we've seen, a team we talked about earlier today versus uh, one team's first game, Boston College versus Duke. Duke laying five and a half points. Um, this game, I don't know where it is. Give me a minute. Efforting. Efforting. I don't have that up tonight. I don't know Efforting. why. <laughs> Efforting. 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 That game will be somewhere. It will be it's in a bubble at Wallace Wade Stadium. <laughs> Essentially a bubble, even when there are fans. Hey. <laughs> All right, Brian, what do you think on this one? You know, I've, I've, I've got data on Duke, so give me Duke. All right, so Duke laying the five and a half. All righty. This is a tough one for me, but I don't think five and a half is enough points um, for this one. I think I'll take BC in the points, um, especially with BC getting their quarterback essentially approved before Raheem got approved. Quarterbacks. Okay. I, I think BC under Halfley will be good enough. I, I don't know who's going to outright win this game. I think it'll be closer than the experts think, you know, losing a, Guy who got drafted in the second round is a lot, um, but I'm going to take BC. So we're, we're disagreeing on the first one here. Okay. Um, okay. I have a feeling we're going to agree on this one. Um, Cuse, Syracuse playing Pitt, Pitt laying 21 and a half. Lock it up. The Cuse is going to cover because I don't know how anybody can trust Kenny Pickett to beat a team by more than three scores. <laughs> well, if you if you trust that, you've trust what you keep hearing from all the pit guys and a couple of guys in the national media that Pickett is turning the corner this year, ladies and gentlemen, turning the corner, taking the next step. Uh, if they can't run the ball, he's not going to take the next step. And I don't think they run the ball any better. I don't like Cuse, but I like Cuse enough to cover with 21 and a half points. So. And by the way, his, his stat line last week against Austin P was 14 of 20, 277. He had one touchdown. Yeah. Um, and, and people were raving about him tearing it up. I'm like, no, 
fourteen to two seventy seven is in fourteen to twenty is not essentially tearing it up. I mean, so. two seventy seven is fine, but the one touchdown and and yeah. just okay completion percentage. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So we're. I, I had a feeling we were going to agree on that. I think I think Pitt probably wins the game outright, but I I mean it's probably somewhere, especially without the big guy in the middle there at yeah. Pitt. It's probably somewhere twenty one ten, somewhere like that. Ugly, ugly. That feels right. Uh, somewhere between ten and, and fourteen point feels right. All right, Brian. Um, three scores and 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 a kicker there doesn't feel right. Yeah, doesn't feel right. And that game is, let's see, just for folks to know, that game is going to be in Pittsburgh. So another normal normal situation, empty Hines. All right. Here's kind of the first one where it's going to be a little bit, um, I would say a little bit different. Um, Wake Forest, NC State, in Raleigh. Um, say what you will. Usually Carter Finley's usually – at least 75% full. It's got a good vibe to it. Um, NC State laying two and a half. Um, so you saw yeah. Wake. They played Clemson. That gives you absolutely no barometer. No data. <laughs> Nothing. What do you think, Brian? What do you, what do you think? Two and a half. I mean, that's, that's not a lot of points to give or take, but what are you feeling? I would say if you had the atmospheric Carter Finley, which is probably one of the better off-campus venues in the yeah. ACC, um, I would I would probably get lean NC State normally. Um, I'm still going to go NC State. I think okay. NC it's going to be a tight game, but I think they'll cover. It'll be it'll be a large one score. All right. Somewhere in the six to six to eight range. All right, I got a not so fast right there. Um, we, we mentioned NC Wake, NC State's building a lot on their offense. Their offense is very young, freshman quarterback. I think Wake's going to win this game. I think they'll. I think they're going to win it outright. I think they'll cover. Um, because even watching that Clemson game, Clemson did have to work to score. They had to work to score. It wasn't just in, you know, again, you, what, like we were kind of like, well, it's Clemson's defense going to be like, yeah, it's Wake, but they're still, they're good. They might not be great, but they're good. But I, I think uh, I, I'm going to take Wake on this one. Okay. Okay. All I right. Mean, pretty much whoever you're taking, you're pretty much saying is going to outright win with a two and a half spread there. Exactly. <laughs> um. All right. Let's go to this one next, Brian. Georgia Tech. Central Florida, um, you know, this would actually be a really good barometer game for Georgia Tech. It is in Atlanta, you know. Home dogs, what do you think, Brian? Actually, I'll take this one, Brian, first. All right, um, lead off. I'll lead this one. Um, as, as, as nice as it was for the Georgia Tech win last week, I still don't think they're all there. Even though with the questions UCF has at quarterback, um, I still think they're a good enough composed team that they can go into Atlanta and win um, by more than a touchdown. Um, 
probably somewhere 24-14 range. I think you you definitely saw Georgia Tech. It's It ain't there offensively yet. The defense is okay. So I'm going to take UCF. I'll lay the seven and a half. What about you? Not so fast, my friend. Not All so right. fast. I'm not so sure about what UCF's got at quarterback. I've liked what I've seen from Georgia Tech. They are playing at home. I know that doesn't matter as much as it normally does, but I think it's going to matter just enough. Um, and I think that we're going to see a, a Georgia Tech team that looked good out the gate and probably looks even a little bit better in game two now that they've knocked some rust off. So I'm going to take Georgia Tech. I can't believe I'm saying it. Georgia Tech. You were not you weren't with them last week like me. You're getting on board this week with them, so um, <laughs> yeah, and it could be. I just, I just feel like UCF just having multiple years. I know some guys opted out, but I just don't think it's enough. And I think you, you, you dropped me. You did watch a lot of the Georgia Tech FSU game, and you, you said that bleeping delay because <laughs> I think you probably felt FSU wins by more than ten points if um, there's no weather delay for like two and a half hours. <laughs> Hey, that was a good one because after playing outside with the kids, I come in. I still had three quarters of a game to watch. That's right. Yeah, you didn't. You didn't hardly miss anything. I didn't miss anything. All right, let's go to this one. Let's go to the out of conference. We are holding the big one for uh, last. Houston Baylor. Let's go down to Texas at the school that tried to woo our current head coach. This one obviously is going to be at Baylor and Waco. Not sure if they're having fans there. This is going to be a, a high noon kick, which is very nice. Got several good high noon games going on. Um, Baylor is laying four and a half. Um, yeah, as far as the fans, I think Texas has been weird. Where like they're almost like fully operational for day to day stuff, but large venues have been still kind of on lockdown. If I'm not mistaken, I could be wrong. Um, but I think that that was my recollection. So this was, let's see, they're not going to allow tailgating, but let's see. It looks like as of a few weeks ago, they were going to allow about 10,000 people in that. Okay. Okay. So 10,000. Okay. Not not terrible. Not terrible, but probably on the lower end of what a lot of the stadiums that are allowing fans are doing, especially, I'm not sure what their capacity is. I think it's probably about the same as as Lane, maybe a little under. A little under. I think they're like 50. I think they're this is close to like 20% for them. They're a little under. It's a, it's an awesome stadium. You've seen the last few years with Matt Rule there. Yeah. You know, they've had some Saturday night games. It, it definitely gets loud. It definitely gets pumped. So definitely an advantage for them. Probably maybe this is why this line's only four and a half is they're counting maybe two to three points for that home advantage. Um, but – you want me to go first on this one? You lead. I led with UCF, and uh, I'll lead with the last one. Um, I'm going to go Baylor, and just be- I was honestly in a, in a toss up when I was looking at this, but I'm going to go I'm going to go Baylor. Um, I think the home advantage is going to be just enough to to push them over the edge there. Um, obviously both of these teams have a little bit of a question mark coming into the season, but they, they both are bringing back a good amount of talent as well. So it should be a dog fight. Um, I think Baylor wins by a touchdown late. So that's right, what I got. Late. over on your net game is 62. So 
you know, looking at it, they're, they're saying this game's going to be in the low 30s, which makes sense for both these teams. Um, I'm kind of torn on this one because last year, you know, the reason De'Eric King essentially left is Holgerson. I don't know. How do you tank a college season? I mean, we're, everybody's still trying to figure that out. That he just he had a bunch of freshmen. He's like, you're not going to play, and we're going to lose games this year. Um, the guy who went from a power five job where he had a good track record, probably wasn't going to get fired, goes down to a G5 job. Like he's almost trying to set up something um, of like, I'm looking for something bigger in this state eventually. Um, but with all that being said. By bigger, you probably mean that Texas job, huh? I think that's what he's looking for. <laughs> I think, I, think I, I truly do. I think he feels like if, if what's his name in the next two years? Definitely the next two years. Um, why can't I think of the guy's Herman. name? Yeah, Tommy Herman. If Tom Herman can't do it, and I can get Houston going okay, they might come visit me because I did have success at a P5 program before. Um, I know the area. You know, being a uh, being an offensive coordinator in that conference. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna not so fast and go Houston. Okay. Um, and, and and I say that because I think I think Holgerson's a good enough coach to have been there. I think he knows what he has. Where Dave Aranda's coming in out of LSU, taking over for rule. I know Charlie Brewer's still there. Um, and I know there's a soft spot in some Virginia Tech fans' heart for the Brewer family. Other folks. There's not a soft spot for Michael. <laughs> I think I think I think Holgerson can at least cover it. I don't know if they'll win. I think it will be. A, I think it's going to be a fun game to watch at noon on Saturday. I got a haircut at eleven. I'm hoping I can make it back as the game kicks off. Um, so I'll take Houston. I'll I'll, I'll one off you there. Okay. All right. So let's go to the big one, man. Saturday night, seven thirty kick. ABC where we should have been playing, but unfortunately, 17 versus 18, Miami, Louisville, Louisville laying the short two and a half points over under 64 and a half against Miami. All right, Brian, since you picked the last one, I'm going to pick this one. And I'm going to go with an upset. I'm going to take Miami to not only cover, um, but I am going to take them to win this one outright. Um, well, I feel they will win this one outright, I should say, um, because even though that defense isn't as good as it was last year, you mentioned it a little earlier in our conversation, secondary still okay. Secondary slightly better than last year. I think that'll be enough to slow down Louisville a few times, and I think it is going to be a shootout, though. I think okay. Saturday night, buckle up. Get ready. I think we're going to see somewhere like 41-38. It's going to be a Big 12 game. It is. And and it's going to be fun. It's going to be a fun game to watch. It's going to be a Big 12 game. You're going to see a lot of offense. um, And if if you see good defensive play, it's probably going to be on forcing turnovers and not a ton of three and outs and things like that. So I think – Feel. Oh, man. Give me Louisville. Okay. Give me Louisville. Lane big play is- central, man. Big play central. Big play it's central. A, at two and a half, it's a pick em anyway. So give me give me Louisville here. 
it really is. I mean, it could be at one point, you know, Louisville could win by, you know, three and you still cover it. But this is it's going to be a tight game. I think we both feel that. They both have those home run potentials. Um, how about this? Even though I'm saying Miami to win, that's my feel. We're going to look at – we're going to do the chunk play reverse and say whoever's averaging better, less chunk plays, is going to win this game. Yeah, I'll I, go with that for, me, for sure. Saturday night, probably 10, 30, 11, you'll be a few beers in. And uh, and we'll be we'll be sitting there saying, okay, do the math. Ah, yep, look at that. Look at that. There's a there's a half to a quarter yard differential. Now speaking of Saturday, Brian. Speaking of Saturday night, I got a question. Yep. What you got? What you smoking, see? I so this weekend on the smoker, the game plan barbecue chili. We're going to do a chuck roast and a pork butt. Oh, man. We're going to shred up about a third of that uh, of that butt, put that in the chili, then cube up that uh, that chuck roast, throw that in there too. So give it a little bit of different texture between the two meats, give it a little smokiness, a little, little beef, a little pork, Ooh. and then all the all the good things that you uh, you know that go into chili as well. So Now, are you doing that Saturday? Because I know you usually do spreads for both days. So is that your Saturday or is that your Sunday spread? That's my that's my uh, entire weekend. <laughs> I'm gonna make so stinking much. And let me tell you something, brother. This weekend is gonna be the perfect weather for it. The 66 high on Saturday, the 64 high on Sunday. Oh yes, 40s. This was planned, man. I talked about like two weeks ago. I was like, I was like, honey, the first the first weekend, there's a day below 75 is the high. I'm making chili. And she's like, all right, book it. I was like, okay, there we go. So here we are. We're here, and I'm 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 bringing it to fruition. And, and I'm gonna say this: I've never had this chili. I know I have had your Oktoberfest chili. Yes. Oh, oh, buddy. Can, can you like FedEx that with like some uh, frozen? <laughs> Meet somewhere like be like random creepers like meeting in the parking lot somewhere between here and Mechanicsville, like down the city. You got it. Top I gotta start selling that shit like churches sell Brunswick's too. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, that sounds awesome. I, I cannot wait, Brian. Do share these pictures with the folks of what you're doing because I think some people will then be asking you for your recipes. Oh. But I don't think anything else is broken. He'd come back and beat the Celtics 106-101. What's going on with the football game on your end? Head and a half, man. Uh, it is 21-13 Browns. A lot more offense than we expected. And Odell scored a touchdown. He's on my bench in the league. Son I, of a bitch. Right. I quit fantasy. All right. Well, <laughs> folks, that is going to wrap up this episode of the Boundary Corner Podcast. My name is Curtis Wilson. I'm Brian Siegler. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook. Subscribe for the podcast on your favorite sources, including Spotify and Apple Podcasts. As always, we let our buddy Jason Long play us out. Catch him on Spotify and Apple Music. We thank you for always listening. And as always, let's go. Hokies!